Hey folks, and welcome back to the Theopolis Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Motes, and I'm the content manager at Theopolis Institute. Theopolis trains men and women to lead cultural renewal by renewing the church. Participants in our programs learn to read the Bible imaginatively, worship God faithfully, and engage the culture intelligently. In this episode, we're continuing on in our series on the life of Jacob with James Jordan. Here, Jordan is starting a transition from the life of Jacob to the life of Joseph, and he really digs into the details of Genesis chapter 36. This episode is a really brilliant example from James Jordan of how to tease out the details of the text. We want to thank you for listening. We hope that you enjoy and are sharpened by this episode. And here is James Jordan discussing the finer details of Genesis 36. And I know you expected me to go into the story of Joseph in Genesis 37 today, but I'm not going to. We're going to do Genesis 36 one more time. Because there are a couple of things here that we didn't discuss that are very interesting. And they're too much fun to pass over and not talk about. Even if next to nothing that I'm going to say today is going to have a thus saith the Lord to it. Because it's all pretty speculative. Imagine that as we learn more and more about the ancient world and as we get more familiar with some of the ancient languages, Semitic languages, we'll eventually be able to solve some of the problems that I'll show you today. But we can't right now. All we can do is say what I will be saying. When we look at Genesis 36, here we have this long list of names. We have Esau's wives, Esau's sons, Esau's grandsons, the chieftains of Seir, the kings of Edom, and the later clans of Edom, and there are all these names. And what I've done in the notes this time is translate all those names for you as best we can on the assumption that the meanings of these words are important. In other words, why are we given all these names? There are several possibilities. One is that whoever put Genesis in final shape here or along the way Joseph put some of this in, and then Moses put some of it in, and then the information that goes down to the time of Solomon was put in by someone else, Isaiah or Ezra. They just took some records and stuck them in without editing them particularly. But the Bible doesn't just give us bits and pieces of information that have no relevance. So we have to say, sure, Records must have been kept and used in construction of this text along the way, but that's not enough. Another possibility is that these names, when translated, have a theology in them. And I'll suggest to you a little bit along those lines. That becomes difficult because we don't know what all these names mean. Some we do, some we don't. And until we know more and are more sure, we can't say a whole lot. And then another possibility is that the list is included because there are some important people buried down in this list that show up later in the Bible, and this is telling us something that the rest of the Bible doesn't tell us, but we have to figure it out. It's the glory of God to conceal a matter, and it's the glory of kings to search it out, and there may be some things hidden in here that if we search and reflect on the text a lot, we can figure out. A lot of what I'm going to say today is Jewish tradition. We have 
the Septuagint translation of the Old Testament into Greek, which was made before Jesus, has extra information in it that shows how the ancient Jews thought about some of these people and who they were. And I'm going to try to show you that they had good reasons for some of their opinions. But to start with, if you'll look at this genealogical chart and then this information here, if we read this again, we're reading the sons of Seir the Horite in verse 20, the text, verse 20 of chapter 36. These are the sons of Seir the Horite. And by the way, Horite means free man or noble man. They lived in the mountains, so these were the free mountain men. The sons of Seir the Horite, the noble man, the inhabitants of the land, that is, the land that Esau conquered. And these are the sons, Lotan, Shoval, Zivion, Ana, Dishon, Azer, and Dishan. These are the chiefs descended from the Horites, the sons of Seir, and the land of Edom. And then we get the sons of these various people. Now, how do we understand this? Some have understood that these are seven sons of a man named Seir. But you know that later on in the Bible it talks about the children of Israel and the sons of Israel. and It goes down many generations. And so there's no particular reason to think that these are actually the sons of someone named Seir. We're not told Seir begat Lotan or anything like that. They are descendants of Seir, the founder of the Horites, the original nobleman. But another question comes up is, are these all in the same generation? It looks like they are. But they might not be, especially when we start to look at verse 20, where we have the last four names are Lotan, Shobal, Zibion, Anna, and then Dishon. He using English pronunciations in the next verse. Now look down at verse 24. These are the sons of Zibion, Aya, and Anna. And then verse 25, these are the children of Anna, Dishon and Aholabama. Well, that sure looks like a generation thing there. Either you've got an original Zibion, Anna, and Dishon, which is the way I taught it last time, and these later ones are just named for them, or in fact, this is three generations. And I'm going to suggest that's what it is, that these chiefs that are listed here, at least those three are father, son, and grandson. When did the others live? Well, We've got another problem, another way to fix this. I hope you can follow this. I'm showing you how you have to puzzle this stuff out. Verse 25 says, These are the children of Anna, Dishon, and Aholabama, the daughter of Anna. Well, that goes back up to verse 14, which says, These are the sons of Esau's wife, Aholabama, the daughter of Anna, the daughter of Zibion. So Esau married this Aholabama. So this Dishon guy must have been about the generation of Esau. So if you look at your chart here, off to the left it says early Jacob. You've got Dishon and his sister Aholabama there. And next to it you've got Esau and Aholabama. So they would be about the same generation. Esau marries Dishon's sister. Both of them are daughters of Anna the Horite, who is the son of Sivan. But we got another thing here. 
verse 22 of our text says, The sons of Lotan were Hori, which means the Horite, and Hemam, and Lotan's sister was Timnah. Well, run back up to verse 12. Timnah was a concubine, an unendowed wife, of Esau's son, Eliphaz, and she bore Amalek to Eliphaz. So Esau's son marries Timnah, who is a sister of Lotan. Well, if Lotan is three generations back, we've got some really strange things going on. Esau's son marries somebody that's four generations away from a woman his father married. So if you look back here on this chart where it says early Jacob, I have put Lotan as in the same generation with Dishon, Shoval, Etzer, and Dishon, the others. And his sister Timnah marries Eliphaz. That'll work. These people lived long lives. Isaac lived to be 180. So you can have a little bit of cross-generational marriages like this. But if you push it all the way back, you don't. So to start with, I think that the data in the text indicates this situation. Second of all, we know when Esau conquered Seir. Remember that Esau and Edom moved out and conquered the land of Seir and conquered these Horites and intermarried with them. Well, one of the evidences is that this princess of Seir, Timnah, is just a second-class wife or concubine of Eliphaz. If she had still been a princess of the Horites, she wouldn't have been a concubine. But obviously her status has been reduced by the time this marriage takes place. But also, we find that Jacob, when he comes back into the land, it says in chapter 32, verse 3, Jacob sent messengers before him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. So Esau conquered Seir during the time that Jacob was out of the country in Paddan Aram. Jacob's gone for 20 years. During those 20 years, Esau conquers this land. When did this take place? Well, I think it takes place at the time of the last generation here of these Horites, and that's why the genealogy goes that far. Look at verse 20 again in the text, Genesis 36. These are the sons of Seir, the Horite, inhabitants of the land, place that Edom conquered, Esau. Lotan, Shobal, Zibion, Anna, Dishon. We remember Zibion, Anna, and Dishon are in line with each other. It's father, son, and grandson. And Etzer and Dishon. And these are chiefs descended from the Horites, sons of Seir in the land of Edom. The sons of Lotan were Hori and Hemam, and Lotan's sister was Timnah. The sons of Shobal were Alvin, Mahanath, Ebal, Shepho, and Onam. These are the sons of Zibion, Aya, and Anna. And then we're told, this is the Anna who found hot springs in the wilderness. Hot springs is what it says here, water, some kind of water in the wilderness. When he was pasturing the donkeys of his father Zibion. And these are the children of Anna, Dishon and Aholabama, daughter of Anna. These are the sons of Dishon, Hemdan, Eshban, Ithran, and Charon, or Saron. These are the sons of Ezer, Bilhan, and Saavan, and Achan. These are the sons of Dishon, Uts, and Aran. 
And these are the chiefs descended from the Horites. Chief Lotan, Chief Shobal, Chief Zibian, Chief Anna, Chief Dishon, Chief Ezer, and Chief Dishon. These are the chiefs descended from the Horites according to their various chiefs in the land of Seir. Remember the word chief shows up 42 times, 6 times, 7 times in this passage. Well, why do we get that far in the generations and no farther? Because I think that's where the conquest took place. If you look here where it says Jacob in exile along the left-hand side, Esau conquers Seir, we can run across there and see that generation. The sons of Esau and Aholavamah are in the second column. The sons of Lotan the third. Eliphaz, the son of Esau, he marries Timnah. Eliphaz marries somebody else and has some other sons. And at this time, Esau marries Basimat, daughter of Ishmael. Esau married her about 40 years after he married his other two wives. Remember that when Esau was 40, he married Aholabamah and Ada. And then after Jacob went to Padanaram, he saw that his parents didn't like his wives. He went to Ishmael and got another wife. So he marries her about the same time Jacob gets married. That puts him down a generation. And then you got next to him the sons of Shobal, Etzer, and Dishan. we got Dishon and Dishan in this passage. They're here. So that's one thing. If you start puzzling this out and saying, who's married to whom? When could this have been? What makes the most sense? You get there. Then you can follow this out. Teaching this is hard. being easier to study it. Let's go back to where this block of notes starts. And look at what's here. Now that we've gotten a little bit of familiarity with this chart, we can kind of keep that out on the side if you want. Esau's wives, this is in verse 2 and 3. Ada, Bath, Elon. Elon or Ella means oak or terebinth in your Bible. Sometimes you have it. The big tree that people planted themselves under. Ada means ornament or jewel. Well, there was an earlier Ada. In Genesis chapter 4, Ada was the wife of Lamech. Remember? Ada and Zillah, wives of Lamech. Listen to me, I killed a boy for striking me. Cain is avenged seven times, Lamech seventy-seven times. Lamech was the evil seventh generation from Cain. He is the first polygamist and the first poet who celebrates murder. Esau is like this Lamech. Esau is compared to every wicked person that was ever in Genesis before his time. And in an earlier passage, Ada is called Basimath, which means fragrant. Then we have the second wife that's listed here in Genesis 36. is a whole Obama, Bath, daughter of, Ana, Ben, son of, Sivan. That means my high place tent, daughter of Anna, possibly the name of a false god. I meant to correct that, and so you'll just have to do it. It means, Anna means singer, daughter of singer. Son of hyena. Sivan means hyena. I guess to us that wouldn't be a very nice name, but the ancient world, naming your kids after animals, was not so strange. Anna means singer. We'll see why in a few minutes. Actually, we have some associations with false worship here. High place. Aholabama is the daughter of the Anna who found water in the wilderness and sang to it, apparently. He's also called Barry the Hittite, which means the well man of the Hittites. You know that Be'er means well. Beersheba means seven wells, or seven beers. 
No, it means seven wells. Well man of the Hittites is Anna who found the water. His daughter's original name was Judith or Praise. The association of Praise with a tent on a high place indicates that she may have been a priestess of the pagan religion of the Seerites or Horites. Then the third one is Basimath, Bath, daughter of Yishmael and sister of Nevi'ah, which means fragrant, daughter of God hears and sister of husbandry. Then we have some sons here. Eliphaz, ben Ada, Bath, Elon, son of Ada, daughter of Elon. That's the way it's given in the text. God is strong, grandson of Oak. Reuel, friend of God, grandson of God hears. And then Yeush means may he help. Yalam can mean youth or mountain goat, we're not sure. Korah seems to mean bald. And nobody's real super sure of that either. The names of the three sons of Baholabama may also allude to high place worship. Yeush, may he help. May the God of the high place give help as he gave help to Anna in the wilderness by showing him water. Youth, young deacon of the high place or goat of the high place, that would be Yalam. Korah, if it means bald, would be the clearing. You go up on a high place and make a clearing so you can set your altar up. Don't know for sure. Then I've given you, you can study it out sometime when you're just totally bored and have nothing else to do. The names of Esau's grandsons here. Then we come to the chieftains of Seir. And we've looked at that. You might want to just kind of glance at these sometime and see what you get from them. And then we get down here to the end in verses 32 to 39 to the kings of Edom. And this is where I think this lesson today will get a lot more fun for you. The kings of Edom. These are the kings who reigned in the land of Edom before any king reigned over the sons of Israel. Verse 32. Bela, the son of Beor, reigned in Edom, and the name of his city was Dinhabah. Then Bela died in Jobab, the southern king. The son of Zerah, Basra, became king in his place, and Jobab died. And Husham in the land of Temanites became king in his place. And then Husham died, and Hadad, son of Bedad, who delivered Midian in the field of Moab, became king in his place. And the name of his city was Awith. And then Hadad died, and Samla of Masrachah became king in his place. And then Samla died, and Saul, remember that's the same as the word Saul and King Saul, identical to it. Saul of Rehoboth on the river. Rehoboth was one of the cities founded by Nimrod. Nimrod built all these cities over there, and this is one of the original Nimrod cities on the Euphrates River, Rehoboth. He became king, and then Saul died, and Baal Hanan, son of Akbor, became king in his place, and then Baal Hanan, the son of Akbor, died. And we saw that after that happened, David conquered the Edomites, and while David was in charge, the family of this man Hadar, or Hadad, went down to Egypt, and then in Solomon's day, he came back up and liberated Edom from Solomon. So this is the eighth king who starts a new beginning for Edom. Hadar, or Hadad, became king in his place. The name of his city was Pau, and his wife's name was Mehidabel, daughter of Matred, daughter of Mezahab. Now, who are these guys? We look back here on our notes here. Bela ben Beor of Dinhabah. That means master, son of burning fire from someplace we don't know. This is probably the same person as Balaam, son of Beor. Then the next king is 
Yobab ben Zira of Batra. That means we don't know what. We don't know what Yobab means. Son of Don from Fortress. Ancient traditions preserved in the Septuagint identify this man with Job, who was a ruler in Edom and an acquaintance of a certain Eliphaz from Taman, who is clearly an Edomite. There is some evidence for this identification. Zira seems to have been the son of Ruel, listed above. Now, I've got that here on this chart. You go back and look at where Ishmael starts, Esau, Basimath, Ruel. Ruel would have been the same generation as Jacob's sons. His sons, Nahath, Zerah, Shammah, and Mizah, correspond to Israel being in Egypt. And Jobab, or Job, would have lived about the time of the Exodus. Remembering now, the Jews were in Egypt for 215 years, not for 430 years. 430 years starts with Abraham. Well, look on the Making Sense of the Genealogy page and keep out this chart so that you can look at it. Let's go over some of these suggestions in a bit more detail. Anna the Horite. Remember, we're told this extra information about him. He was the one who found the springs in the wilderness when he was pasturing the donkeys of his father. And we link that up with King Saul pasturing donkeys and becoming king and also finding water in the wilderness. But what's interesting is, since Anna the Horite is Barry the Hittite and his daughter married Esau, that puts him in the same generation as Isaac. And what did Isaac do? Isaac went around digging wells. So one interesting connection that emerges thematically is that this man is the same generation as Isaac, and both of them are noted in the Bible as those who dig wells. The second thing that's interesting is that Anna means singer. He discovered a well in the wilderness, and when you get to Numbers 21.17, Israel finds a well in the wilderness, and what do they do? They sing to it. It's one of these odd passages in the Bible that, you don't hear very much, so hear it. Numbers 21, verse 16. It says, From there they continued to beer. B-E-E-R. Which means well. From there they continued to bear. That is the well. Where the Lord said to Moses, Assemble the people that I may give them water. Then Israel sang this song. There are about eight different words for sing in the Bible, but the word for sing here is Anna. They sang this song. Spring up, O well, sing to it. The well which the leaders sank, which the nobles of the people dug with the scepter and their staffs. And from the wilderness they continued to Matana. Now, what's really strange about this, and I don't know what to do with this. It's just something, this little tidbit of information that someday will make sense to somebody. This word, Anna, which is one of the less frequent words for singing, is used here in connection with this well in the wilderness. And way back here, we were told that some guy named Anna found a well in the wilderness. And Anna, this original Anna, is a Horite. And what does Horite mean? Free man or noble man. Well, now look at this song here. The well which the leaders sank, which the nobles dug with their staffs. you got... This language around Horites, the name Anna, all shows up here in the wilderness where they find a well. Why? I don't know. But it's an interesting connection. That what is here 
Remember, one of the themes in Genesis 36 is that the Edomites get there first. And they dug the well in the wilderness first, and then Israel does later on. The Horites are the original noble men, but the Israelites are the later noble men, and so forth. At any rate, that's one interesting thing that comes out here. Now, in terms of chronology, I've given you that. I think we've covered almost everything here. You can look at it yourself later on. Let's go back and let me show you who these kings of Edom are, and then we can be done. Bela, son of Baor. There is only one other Baor in the Bible, and that's in the book of Numbers, where we read about Balaam, the son of Baor. Now, chronologically, Bela, if he's the first king, and if he's a descendant, well, chronologically, we got to do this. On back here, Yobab is the son of Zerah, and Zerah is living during the captivity in Egypt. And his son, Jobab, who is probably Job, is going to be a ruler toward the end of the wilderness wanderings. And we can reconstruct a hypothetical history here, which I'm going to do in just a minute. Now, that may seem like a kind of a stretch here, three generations through here, but remember that Moses' mother was a daughter of Levi. Levi, the son of Jacob, goes down into Egypt in his old age. He gives birth to Joshebed. She gives birth to Moses. Eighty years later, they come out of Egypt. Now, that's the proof that they weren't in Egypt for 430 years. But that same generational span can easily be here, taking us down to Jobab. Well, if Jobab is at the time of the conquest, basically, then Bela is king during the wilderness. Now remember we saw that when we came out of Egypt, we asked the king of Edom if we could go through his territory. That's in Numbers chapter 20. And the king said, no, I want you to go through my territory. Well, then the next thing we read is we read about a guy named Balaam, son of Baor. And he tries to curse Israel and he doesn't succeed. And then... He sends the Midianite women down to seduce Israel to sin so that Israel will bring judgment on themselves. And then finally, in chapter 31, and this is kind of interesting here, Moses kills him. They kill the kings of Midian, Numbers 31, verse 8. They kill the kings of Midian along with the rest of the slain. And these are the kings of Midian. Evi, Rechem, Zor, Hur, and Rebah, the five kings of Midian, and they also killed Balaam, the son of Baor, with the sword. Well, is this Bela, the son of Baor, the same as Bilam, the son of Baor? Could Balaam, written in our Bible, B-A-L-A-A-M, could this be the same as Bela, son of Baor? And could this prophet Balaam be the same as Bela, the king of Edom? Well, there's very good reasons to think so, especially considering how their names are spelled. Bella in Hebrew is spelled B-L and then a stop of sound. Beth looks like this. Beth Lamed Ayin. Bela. You say you wouldn't make that sound, but you stop your sound. Bela. 
Balaam is spelled B L stop the sound and M. Moreover, we say Balaam. But this name is pronounced Bilam. Bilam. Bella Bilam. Well, what has happened to this short E sound here, and it is a short E, Bella, it shrinks down to a it because the accent. What does Bella mean? Well, I've got it down here as master. Anybody know the normal way we say the word for master in Hebrew? Well, it's written this way. B-A-A-L. Baal is what we say. Baal is the way you say it in Hebrew. The word Baal means husband, lord, and eater. Because a king is somebody who eats the people into himself. Remember in the book of Revelation, we're in Jesus' mouth. And we don't want to be spat out. Why? Because we're being taken into his body. The king gathers the people into himself. They're incorporated into union with him. So he eats them and he's the husband of the people. All of these. Now this word Baal is shrunk down later on in the Bible to the word Bel. So one of the gods of the Chaldeans is called Bel. But it means the same thing. Husband, Lord, and the one who eats the people. Well, Bela is just a form of this. It means husband, Lord, king. And Bilam, Balaam to us, this part here means people. So, husband of a people, lord of a people, people eater. It's a kingly name. Balaam, translated into English, means master of a people. You might think, well, Balaam would mean one who prophesies for God. Nope, doesn't. His name means king of a people. So is Bela the same as Balaam? Very likely. Well, now, what does that tell us? What does that give us? Well, we come out of Egypt. Who's on the throne in Edom? Bela, the son of Baor, Balaam. He doesn't let us go through. Then he tries to curse us. And then we kill him, and who becomes king in his place? Jobab. Well, who's Jobab, the second king? Well, he is actually Yovav, son of Zerah of Basra. If this is the same Zerah as we've already met in the text, and it would certainly seem to be, then he's in that generation. Shortly before the conquest of the land, Jobab becomes king of Edom. Well, this is where it gets even more interesting and fun. If you go to the Septuagint translation of the Hebrew Bible, which is the Greek translation made about 100 B.C., this part of it was, somewhere in there, there is a paragraph at the end of the book of Job that says, Now this Job was a king in Edom named Jobab, son of Zerah, fifth from Abraham. And it says that. Which tells you that the Jews thought this Jobab was Job. There's another Jobab earlier in the Bible, but they thought this one was Job. Why would they think so? Well, several reasons. Number one, Job is clearly an Edomite because he lives in the land of Uz. In Hebrew, that is written Uts. Sounds a little bit more dignified than Uz. There are actually three Uzes in the Bible. But Lamentations chapter 4 says that the land of Uz is part of Edom. And so we know that Job, from the land of Uz, is living in the land of Edom. 
Moreover, Job's conversationalists start off with Eliphaz the Temanite. He's clearly an Edomite. And the others, although they come from various places, are all coming from the same geography. Where are we? Well, we are to the southeast of Israel. Let's draw our map. And here we have this. And here we have this little Gulf of Aqaba here. And here we have the Arabian Peninsula. And here we have Egypt. Well, Edom is here. And here we have the Persian Gulf coming in. A Red Sea, rather. This is Edom here. East of Israel and northwest of Arabia. In Arabia. And Uz is in here. And the city of Tima is here. And these other people that are in Job all live in this area here. Not only is Job an Edomite, because he is living in Uz, which is part of Edom, but also he's basically the king. It says in Job chapter 1 that he was the greatest of the men of the east. Well, he was a leader in his community. That's why when disasters happened to Job, everybody suffered. That's why these other men came to him to get him to step down, because he could no longer effectively be the king and leader in this community. The word king isn't used, but it doesn't need to be used. He's the greatest man of the entire sons of the east. So everybody living out here, Job was the greatest. And these other men who come to visit him, they're coming from some distances here. There is a kingdom, a realm here, and Job is the top dog in this realm. So Job is an Edomite, and he's a king. That much we know. Was he the same as Yobab, son of Zerah of Batra? Well, who knows? The Jews say he was. We can't say absolutely for sure. The names aren't spelled quite the same way, but they're very close, and certainly the Jews thought they were close enough to make an identification. The name Jobab is actually spelled Y-O-V-A-V, and the name for Job would be spelled E-E-Y-O-V. It's actually pronounced in Hebrew Eov, very strong E sound, because it's written with a vowel letter here to stress the sound. And Aleph begins the word. And you don't have that in this name Yovav. Instead you have the same Yov sound, and then you have Av on the end. So it's slightly different, but quite similar. And so I think that's very interesting. We know that Job was a king. We know he was a king of Edom. If he's not Jobab, he could either be one of these other guys, or he could be a name that's been dropped out of the list, because we've only got seven names here for Edomite kings, and that's not enough to cover the entire period of time from the Exodus to Solomon. But if I was laying money on it, I'd say he probably was. So that becomes interesting too. Job is a believer. The Edomites weren't usually believers. But think about this historical scenario as we've reconstructed it, and we can't be sure of this. Come out of Egypt, here are these bad Edomites, and they've got a bad king, Bela. 
Baal. And he doesn't want to cooperate with us. In fact, he wants to kill us all. But he gets killed. Moses puts him to death. Then you get a good king. Well, who is this guy? Well, he's a guy who's been here in the faith. They've been in contact with Midianites. you got some bad Midianites here. But are there any good Midianites in the time of the Exodus? Bad Midianites. Are there any good ones? Now, somebody has to know the answer to this. Who did Moses marry, folks? Married the daughter of the priest of Midian. So there are good Midianites and bad Midianites. Well, Balaam, who is probably Bela, he's in alliance with these bad Midianites. But we also know that they're good Midianites and that they're believers and that Jethro, the Midianite high priest, priest king, he comes to Israel in the wilderness and he's there for a while and he goes back. Well, if Midianites and Edomites are in contact with each other, they obviously are, and the good Midianites would have been in contact with Edomites as well, right? Not hard to figure out. Bad Midianites involved with Edom, good Midianites involved with Edom. How would Job know about the truth? Maybe from Jethro. Israel is in the wilderness for 40 years, near to Edom. They're around these Midianites during that time. Information goes, Job can hear about it. Some of these other men, Job's conversationalists are all believers. They just don't use the faith the right way. And Eliphaz the Temanite, he knows the truth. He just doesn't apply it the right way. At the end, he's told to repent and ask Job to pray for him. So he's saved. He's in heaven. These people in the book of Job are Edomites who had come in contact with the truth. I suspect that Job came in contact with the truth during the time that Israel came out from Egypt. Probably knew Jethro. Probably was pals with the good Midianites. And probably didn't like old Bella Balaam. And once Bella Balaam was knocked off as being king, Job, Jobab, becomes king and Edom becomes a righteous nation for a while, which is how the Israelites found out about this story because they were in contact with them. Well, that may have been what the ancient Jews were thinking about when they reconstructed this. But we can't know for sure. But I wanted to share that with you because I think, once again, we've got what just looks like a bunch of names here. And yet when you start looking at them and you have to let somebody like me do it who can look at the Hebrew letters and can read all the scholarly stuff and say, okay, these are possibilities, you wouldn't get this on your own. But now that you see it, I hope that at least it gives you something that's fun to play with in your mind. Bela, the first king, may have been Balaam, probably was. Yobab may have been Job, probably was. So that is another reason why these names are given here, while this seemingly endless list of names is provided, because these names and the people that are involved actually do show up later on in the Bible and have a place. That's about it for Genesis 36, folks. I hope it's been interesting to you. The notes that I've given you go through this material a little bit and on your own, you can read it. I've just kind of rambled through it because it's hard to teach something like this without inching your way through it. And we didn't want to spend eight weeks doing this, building up inch by inch every one of these theses. I just wanted to share it with you and let you see that there may well be much more here than meets the eye. Let's pray then. Father in heaven, we thank you for the scriptures. 
And even though we can't know exactly who these people were, it is always fun to study your word and to see what the possibilities are. And we look forward to finding out if Bella really was Balaam or if they were brothers or if they had no relationship at all and finding out more about this history when we get to heaven. And we know that as time goes along, you'll reveal more to your church. Now we ask that you would bless us as we draw near to worship you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for enjoying this episode of the Theopolis Podcast. For more information and for more content from Theopolis, you can check us out online at theopolisinstitute.com. We release new articles every Tuesday and Thursday on our blog, so you'll want to make sure to look out for those. You can also find us on Twitter at underscore Theopolis and on Facebook if you just search for our name. If you've been helped, sharpened, and encouraged by this podcast, we'd really love it if you would go to iTunes and leave us a review. It just takes a few seconds, and it really will help us along in getting our content in front of new listeners. That's all for now, friends. We really look forward to being with you all again in the next episode. And as always, thank you so much for listening.